The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Good morning. It is wonderful to be with uh, you all this morning. Uh, It's always a privilege to stand up and preach the Word of God. It's especially a privilege to be able to stand up in front of our own congregation, our church family, to preach the Word. I feel especially thankful this morning to be able to be here. My family's just coming out of a COVID quarantine, so don't worry, I'm free and clear, according to the CDC, um, to be here in person. Uh, As Peter mentioned, I'm sitting alone this morning, so we just take a little extra precaution. Uh, Peter also mentioned that we're being sent out this summer. Um, I don't know if he said this, but with Training Leaders International, TLI, to do theological training in Hawaii and the Pacific Islands, it's timely that in God's providence this morning we are highlighting uh, Desiring God Ministries and Training Leaders International. About 10 years ago, 10 years ago this fall, I was at the Desiring God Fall Conference, if you guys remember when we used to do those, um, and had lunch, I think it was lunch, with Darren Carlson, the founder of TLI, who you saw in that video. TLI was just uh, not, probably not even two years old at that point, and uh, we had lunch at Brit's Pub downtown, if you know that spot. I have no idea how we got connected. It was probably Tom Steller. Um, but Darren said to me, well, if you ever want to partner with us to do anything in Hawaii, let me know. We were just about to launch out to move to Hawaii for the first time. And that kind of stuck in my brain. TLI, Hawaii, Pacific Islands. And, and here we are a decade later, and the Lord has, bringing, has brought some of these pieces together. And we are, God willing, moving in July. The short version is that we're seeking to, to further this mission, spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ in Hawaii and the Pacific Islands. So please be praying for us. Uh, If you don't know much about our ministry, I'd love to tell you more about it. This is also probably the the last time that I'm going to preach before we move, as far as I know. So let me take a moment just to thank you all for your care for our family over the last several years. From our first Sunday here, uh, there at the high school, when uh, John and Mary Hendricks introduced themselves to us as we were walking through the door. Uh, hey, they're here. I thought you guys were gone. Uh, to uh, uh, just all, all the ways that this congregation has cared for us through hard seasons of frozen pipes and flooded basements and uh, lost pregnancies and even the last couple of weeks as we dealt with COVID. So thank you so much for being our family in Minnesota, and we're excited about how the Lord will continue to keep us connected to this congregation as we're sent out as global partners from the South Campus. It's been my prayer that the Lord would connect this church and the ministries that we're doing in Hawaii in surprising ways, so we look forward to welcoming any and all of you to come out and serve alongside of us in the islands in the coming years for a week, a month, 10 years, whatever the Lord might do. 
but this ta- my task this morning is not to talk about Desiring God or TLI or our ministry, even, even though that's certainly connected with the text that we're looking at this morning. We want to turn our attention back to Acts, to the text Pastor David read for us, to look at this pivotal passage where we see a turning point in the book of Acts, and really a turning point in all of redemptive history and the history of the world. It's connected to the work that we'll be doing in the Pacific Islands, but it's also connected to the task that God has called us to here in Minnesota. If you remember back in Acts 1-8, Jesus told his followers that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So far, in the first nine chapters of Acts, we've seen the gospel advance through Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria. And, but it hasn't yet gone to the Gentiles. We, we see hints at this in Acts 2, when you have Jews from all over the, the Roman Empire coming to Jerusalem and presumably being sent back to all these places. We see the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, or, uh, who Philip shared the gospel with. But it, here in Acts chapter 10, the dam that divides Jew from Gentile is split right down the middle. And in the rest of the book, especially in the mission work of Paul, we see that dam burst wide open. The mission to the Gentiles, the, the mission that you and I are called to be a part of even to this day, begins here with Peter and Cornelius. So I'm going to pray for us again, and then we'll jump back into the text. Let me pray. Father, we praise you that your grace has flowed to us. Your grace has flowed to Gentiles. So we praise you for your sovereign work in history, and we pray now that as we look at this text and are reminded of these great events, that you would remind us afresh of your grace to us and your calling on us. So meet us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So our text this morning is the, the first part of a story that Pastor Dave will continue next week, God willing. So I don't want to steal all of his thunder, but uh, I might take a few rumbles along the way. In the first 16 verses of this chapter, we see two visions. First to Cornelius, and then to, to Peter. And these visions move the progress of redemptive history forward. Maybe in surprising ways, maybe not as surprising as we might think. And then in the last part of our text, continuing on to next week, we'll see Peter's response to this revelation from God, with the result that the gospel is going to the Gentiles, the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. So in the beginning of the chapter, we meet this man named Cornelius. He's kind of a study in contrast. On the one hand, he, he's a Roman centurion, a Roman officer in this Italian cohort. 
these Roman citizens serving in the Roman army, the occupying army, right? They were in Israel, occupying the land as a foreign power, living in Caesarea, which was probably the Roman capital of Judea for the last 30 years or 40 years before this text. And most of the citizens in this city are Gentiles. So Cornelius is firmly entrenched in the Roman world. He's in a different category than others we've seen in Acts so far, who are Jews or Jewish converts. But on the other hand, he's called a devout man. He fears God. He gives alms. He prays to the true God. Later in the passage, in verse 22, he's called an upright and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. So he's probably not a full-fledged convert to Judaism, but he seems to be kind of on his way there. He's, ba- he's seeking the Lord based on what he knew of the Old Testament. Uh, obviously, the Lord had done a work in his heart to prepare him for what he would hear. We'll see next week. When he hears it, he responds in faith and repentance. Now, now some will point to Cornelius as an example of a, of a righteous pagan or something like that. Somebody who doesn't know Jesus but is still accepted by God. There's a few problems with that view. First of all, Cornelius seems to be following the revelation that he knows from the Old Testament. Not to mention a few chapters back in Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then in our text, the Lord doesn't leave Cornelius on his own with partial knowledge, right? It's not as if, okay, you're offering these prayers, you're good. You don't need anything else. No, the whole point of the text is that Peter is going to proclaim the gospel clearly to him. So just to be clear, nobody, Cornelius, you, me, Anyone else is welcomed by God apart from Christ. Our sin has separated us from God, but the Lord Jesus lived, died, and rose again in our place so that everyone who puts their hope in him, trusting him alone, is welcomed into his kingdom. So on the one hand, Cornelius isn't a righteous pagan apart from Christ, But on the other hand, this is a great reminder that when God is at work in someone's heart, he will bring the gospel to them. We hear stories about this time and time again. If you've seen the the Jesus in Athens uh, documentary that TLI put together, uh, towards the end of the video, there's a story of an Afghan woman in Athens sitting outside of the shelter, and she she received a vision of the, the risen Christ who said, my daughter, the door is open to you. You remember this if you've seen the video? It, but that, that happened in a context where there were Christians who could share the gospel with her clearly. So the Lord does reveal himself in miraculous ways, both then and now. But both then and now, he uses his church, us, to proclaim the gospel message. So as we look back at the text, the Lord sends an angel to Cornelius. 
he looks at the angel in terror and awe. This isn't a naked baby sitting on a cloud, right? It's an angel who comes with the authority of the God of heaven and earth. He gives Cornelius a command. Send for Peter down in Joppa, probably about 30, 40 miles south of where he was at. Cornelius responds to this vision in a way that's consistent with what we've seen. He obeys what the Lord instructed him to do. He sends two of his servants and one of the soldiers under his command, who's called a devout soldier, down to Caesarea. God's grace came to a, a Roman soldier, a Gentile. Let's not pass too quickly by that. Cornelius didn't earn this invitation. Y- yes, he's commended for fearing God. But the reason why he feared God, the reason why he prayed continually, is because he recognized his own need. He recognized that he needed the Lord. And the Lord showed him grace, brought him the good news of salvation in the second part of our text. So that brings us to Peter's vision, beginning in verse 9. We'll have to spend a little more time on this one. So the next day, Cornelius sends these guys out. They set out for Joppa. As they're getting near to the city, Peter went up on the roof of the house he was staying at, flat roof, went up there to pray about the sixth hour, so probably about noon. And it was lunchtime, so Peter was hungry. He, he couldn't quite make it through the noon prayer time, so he sent somebody to go fix him some lunch, right? And while he's waiting for his meal, the Lord gives him a different kind of vision than what we saw with Cornelius. What does he see? The, the heavens are opened, and something like a great sheet is being lowered to earth. Sometimes I, I picture this like a giant picnic basket full of all kinds of good food. But it's actually full of uh, living animals, reptiles, birds, described like animals are described back in Genesis 1, these different classes of animals, animals and reptiles and birds. Maybe this is a hint that God is taking us back to the creation week to remind us of his purposes for the whole creation. And what does the Lord say to Peter? Rise, kill, and eat. Get up, slaughter one of these animals, prepare it, and eat it. Peter says, wait a second. There are some unclean animals here. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. So some of the animals in this big sheet are unclean, according to the law of Moses. Animals that the Jews were not allowed to eat under the terms of the Old Covenant. Back in Leviticus 11, which I'm sure you all have, you know, right at the tip of your brain, uh, the 47 verses of Old Covenant unclean food laws. But if not, <laughs> let me remind you that in that chapter, the Lord lays out for his people all the different classes of animals that they are not permitted to eat under the Old Covenant. Camels, rabbits, fish without skin, without scales, without fins, 
different kinds of birds, eagles and vultures and falcons. And, and of course, as, as probably all of us or most of us know, pork is unclean. No bacon. Why couldn't they eat bacon? Seriously, what, what, what is the purpose of these old covenant food laws? Is it because that's what's healthier? Not necessarily. Later in Leviticus chapter 20, the Lord gives a clear explanation. So Leviticus 20, 24, he says, I am the Lord your God who has separated you, Israel, from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground crawls. Same three categories that we see in Acts, right? Um, so these animals, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean, you shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord. I am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So do you see the connection there? The Lord separated Israel from the other nations. Therefore, they were to separate clean and unclean animals. The food laws in the Old Covenant were designed to keep Jew and Gentile separate, distinct. The, the unclean animals, in a sense, represented the unclean nations, the Gentiles, most of us in this room. Peter, hearing this, might have thought back to a, a Daniel chapter 1. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food in Babylon. He would keep himself pure from the unclean food of Babylon and by extension keep himself separate from the Gentile nation. So maybe Peter's thinking, like Daniel, I'm a loyal Jew. I'm resolving that I would not defile myself with unclean foods. I'll keep myself distinct from the nations. But how does the Lord respond? What God has made clean, do not call common. It took a little while for Peter to understand what was going on. A after the vision's over, in verse 17, he's inwardly perplexed. He's thinking about, what in the world? He's trying to figure out what he had just seen. The, the Lord had told him, probably the, Lord, the voice of the Lord Jesus himself saying, Rise, kill, and eat. Make yourself a ham sandwich. Stew some conies. Throw a little bacon in there. It took a while for this to sink in. The vision is repeated three times over. But perhaps it began to sink in that this is ultimately not about food. Now, I'm very grateful that we can eat bacon and sausage in the New Covenant. <laughs> I had some this morning. 
in honor of this text. (laughs) But this vision is about a lot more than what we can and cannot eat. What the Lord has made clean is not just food, but ultimately a people, a unified people cleansed by the blood of Jesus. This should not have been news to Peter. First of all, the Old Testament itself points forward to the inclusion of the nations. All the way back in Genesis 12, 3, in the Abrahamic covenant, the Lord said to Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed in you, Abraham. But even in his time with the Lord Jesus, he should have seen hints at this. For example, in Mark 7, when the Lord is explaining what truly defiles a person, he says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? And then Mark adds this comment in Mark 7, 7, 19. Thus he declared all foods clean. There's a very old and I think reliable church tradition that connects the gospel of Mark and the apostle Peter. Peter was probably the primary eyewitness that Mark was relying on. And, And there's a connection between Mark 7 and Acts 10 as well, both here in Acts and in Mark's gospel, the announcement that all foods are clean is followed by good news going to a Gentile audience. In Mark, just after that comment, that Jesus begins to proclaim the good news in Tyre and Sidon, a Gentile area, a Syrophoenician woman comes and hears him. And then here in Acts, the gospel goes to Cornelius. The point is, the food laws and all that separated Jew and Gentile in the Old Covenant are done away in Christ. He's torn down this wall of division and created one new man in Christ. It's the way Paul puts it in Ephesians 2.15. See, in the Old Covenant, there was this bright line between Israel and the rest of the nations. But now, in Christ, the line is between the church, the new Israel composed of all ethnicities and nations together, and the world that opposes Christ and his kingdom. See, throughout Acts, we've seen that as Christ restores his kingdom, the fundamental identity of God's people is rooted in him, his life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and reign have accomplished the great work of God promised throughout the Old Testament. It is only in Christ that all people, Jew, Gentile, young, old, rich, poor, man, woman, are made clean. So here's the point in this vision. The Lord Jesus is revealing to Peter that he is committed to cleansing Gentiles who put their faith in him alone. And we see here and next week, this begins with Cornelius. And this is very good news for us. Like I've said, most of us in this room are Gentiles. 
We're not ethnic Jews, nor are we Jewish proselytes. But in Christ, we are declared clean, acceptable, welcomed before God. As I think about this church, people in this room and people not in this room who have roots in Mexico and Puerto Rico, Japan and the Philippines, and even Scandinavia, we're all united and cleansed in Christ alone. As I think about the ministry that we're launching out to do to train pastors and teachers in the Pacific Islands, there are dozens and dozens of ethnicities who will be a part of our ministry, God willing. And in Christ, we are called, we are cleansed, we are united, and we, we are sent on a shared mission together. We'll see that in the rest of Acts as the gospel goes forward and reaches all the way to the capital of the empire in Rome. So, this, this text touches on divisions between Jew and Gentile, between ethnicities, and there's a lot of discussion about race issues in America and in the church, and there are certainly problems to address, questions to answer, and I, I don't have answers to all of them. But I know this much. In the church, we are fundamentally united in Christ, our unity is rooted in the gospel that Christ has made us clean and we are one new man in him. We live out this reality in our shared life together, in our shared mission. Now, before we move on to the last part of the text, I, I want to mention one way that Peter's vision is sometimes misused. I hesitate to give this too much attention because I don't want to lose sight of the main point of the text, but I think it's worth mentioning. See, some people use this text and the change of food laws to justify changing the commands of God in different ways. Some people will say things like, just like Peter had fresh revelation from God that taught him all foods were clean, God is continuing to give the church fresh revelation that teaches us same-sex marriage is okay, or gender roles are, uh, don't really matter, or this or that or the other thing. But this argument fails to see the uniqueness of what's going on here. This vision comes at a crucial point in salvation history, right? When the old covenant is fulfilled and being done away with, and the gospel is now going to the Gentiles in fulfillment of the new covenant— there's this shift between old and new covenants. There's nothing like that happening today. If you want to say that God is giving you fresh revelation, if you want to say the commands of God are changing, then you also need to show me what new covenant is being established. The problem is in Scripture, we don't see anything beyond the new covenant, right? It's only the new covenant that's increasingly fulfilled until Jesus comes back. In other words, what is happening with Peter here won't happen again this side of Jesus' return. So maybe cool it with the fresh revelation from God stuff. Back to the text. So in, in verses 1 through 16, we've seen two different visions. God sent a messenger to Cornelius to send for Peter. And then the Lord Jesus gives Peter this vision to declare 
that he is making all people, not just food, but people clean. And then in our last section, in verses 17 through 23, we can begin to pull these two visions together. So as Peter sat there, wondering what in the world did I just see, the men that Cornelius sent turned up at the house and asked for Peter. Notice that instead of the the Lord Jesus, now at this point, the Holy Spirit told Peter that the men were outside the house. So he should rise, go down, and go with them. This time, Peter doesn't hesitate to obey the command of God. Maybe it's a little easier just to get up and go down. But maybe the message is starting to sink in. God is calling Gentiles, even Romans, to salvation. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. Don't gloss over that detail too quickly. Remember who, who these guys are, right? They're Romans. Two servants of a Roman centurion and a Roman soldier. And Peter invites them in to the house where he's staying. The gospel can overcome the greatest divisions. This is a big deal. I sometimes joke because the Lord keeps putting Ohio State fans in my life. I'm a Michigan fan. Go blue. (laughs) Daniel's shaking his head. We're a basketball school now, so it's okay. The rivalry is intact. (laughs) One of uh, the pastors when we lived in Wheaton while I was in grad school was a big Ohio State fan, one of our pastors, and uh, one of my fellow professors at the seminary is an Ohio State graduate. We may even have some Ohio State fans in this room at our church in Hawaii where I pastored previously. (laughs) One of our close friends was... uh, on the football team at Ohio State. So he wasn't just a Buckeye fan. He was an actual Buckeye. But in Christ, the barriers between us came down. He's a close friend of our family to this day. Now, I'm being a little facetious. Just a little. But the point is, there's something much greater that unites us than the rivalry that divided us. So much more here in our text. We have Peter, a first century Jewish man who just told the Lord Jesus, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I'm like Daniel. I'm keeping myself pure from the nations. He's living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. Let's not forget what that's like. They were living in in a country occupied by the Roman Empire. He was just a few years removed from seeing the Lord Jesus executed by Roman soldiers. And here he invites these three Roman officials to come into the house and stay with him. See, the gospel can break down barriers far greater than Michigan, Ohio State. The good news compels us to welcome our enemies, even people who are oppressing us, soldiers that have occupied our country, whatever it might be. We welcome our enemies as our guests with the hope and the expectation 
that they will become our brothers and sisters. And that's exactly what happens in this text. The gospel is going to the Romans. The gospel is going to the nations. The gospel is going to the ends of the earth. In Christ, even us, the Gentiles, are declared clean. I'll save the rest of that story for Pastor Dave next week, but we should not be too quick to move beyond the amazing grace of God that has come to us. We're going to celebrate that as we fellowship at the Lord's table in a, in a little while. But before we move to the Lord's table, I, I want us to consider just, just three simple points of closing application. First of all, Rejoice in the work of our triune God. As we walk through the text, did you notice how all three members of the Trinity seem to play a role here? The Holy Spirit told Peter that the men were waiting at the door. In his earlier vision, the Lord Jesus is the one speaking directly to Peter. Peter addresses him as Lord, a reference to Jesus. In Cornelius' vision, the messenger came from God, probably referring to the Father. So here, as always, the triune God is united in his work of redemption. Our God, our triune God, is on the throne and working out his purposes of redemption. And th this should be an encouragement to us, should cause us to exalt and praise to him that the, the story of redemption in Acts in our lives and all of history is under God's sovereign control as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit work out the unified purpose of God in history. And our triune God, as he works out his sovereign purposes in history, has called Gentiles. Second then, be grateful that the gospel has come to us, Gentiles. We've been beating that drum over and over throughout the service. But we who were far off have been brought near in Christ. This is an amazing gift. We should be overwhelmingly grateful. We read from Ephesians 3. I mentioned Ephesians 2 a moment ago. Listen to what the Lord tells us there. So I read from Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's where we were. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. And he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace 
and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off, us, and preached peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So we were far off, we were unclean, and we have been brought near, we have been made clean in the blood of Christ that we're built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, verse 22 says. Praise God that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. Praise God that the gospel has broken out of Judea and Samaria and has gone to the ends of the earth, to Caesarea, to Athens, to Rome, to Minneapolis, to Honolulu, to Tokyo. All over the world, the gospel is spreading. And we see, we see it launching here. So this leads to our final application. Number three, proclaim the good news to all people as our only hope of true cleansing. Our triune God did something unique here, unique in the history of redemption. So we shouldn't be looking for exactly the same experience that Cornelius or Peter had. The application for us today is not to try to puzzle out what fresh revelation the Spirit is giving us so that we can skirt around some or another command of God. That revelation is already given. We have it right here. Instead, the application for us is to go wherever the gospel needs to be proclaimed, across the street or around the globe. We, we should be looking for every opportunity to do what Peter did in response to this revelation. Go where the Spirit leads us to proclaim the good news. This is what Bethlehem Baptist Church, by God's grace, has been doing for 150 years. This is what TLI is all about. This is what we should give our lives to. So in a moment, we're going to ponder the grace of God as we come to the table. The risen Lord Jesus has declared us clean in him. And so he calls us to fellowship with him at his table. And then we'll go from this place with the renewed commission to call all peoples into this great fellowship, to join to this people, this holy temple where God dwells. So I want us to take a moment now to reflect on the amazing grace of God to us Gentiles as Pastor Daniel then comes to lead us to the table. So just take a moment of silent reflection as we come to the table. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at 
Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.